0: Fit toys.
1: We are sponsored this week by Apostrophe. Apostrophe is a prescription skincare company that offers science backed oral and topical medications that are clinically proven to help clear acne. I don't know about you guys, but I uh, have dealt with acne in my life, and uh, while it no longer bothers me, uh, it sure sucked when it did. And when uh, Apostrophe approached me about advertising, uh, I said, I don't need acne medication, but I would be willing to go through the steps that a customer goes through so, uh, I can speak about that process. And I did, and it was super simple. I went to, uh, their website, uh, they connect, ten, connected me with a board certified dermatologist. Um, I filled out some medical information, uploaded a few selfies and, uh, heard back, uh, almost right away. So. We got a special deal for you guys, the audience. Save $15 off your first visit with an apostrophe provider at slash mental when you use our code mental. And this code is only available to our listeners. So to get started, just go to apostrophe.com slash mental and click begin visit. Then use our code mental at sign up and you'll get your first visit for only $5. That's A-P-O-S-T-R-O-P-H-E dot com slash mental. And use that code MENTAL to get your dermatologist-crafted treatment plan for $5. And we thank Apostrophe for sponsoring this podcast. Welcome to Episode 584 with my guest Maggie Rowe. Uh, Very excited to talk to her. We met years and years ago, uh, and then I read some of her uh, latest book, and uh, very excited to have her on great writer uh really like the way she she thinks and i love the stuff that we talk about in this interview we talk about a lot of stuff religion uh but uh, mostly envy and we do the the first envy off uh, we've ever done on the on the podcast it's weird that it's a it's a such a, a common emotion and yet i never really think to talk about uh, envy or jealousy um Maybe because I don't experience jealousy romantically, but I do experience jealousy professionally. look at people and go, God, if I just, oh, if only I had that many, you know, followers or listeners or, you know, blah, blah, blah. Anyway, I just got back from urgent care. Uh, and that's not my, why my voice sounds weird. My voice sounds weird, I think, because I just uh, had a gigantic pizza in one sitting. I don't know. Maybe my voice is weird. from I had to take Benadryl uh, and steroids. I got stung by a bee two days ago, and my hand has swelled up like a fucking melon. But the nice thing is is I'm taking it to the farmer's market on Sunday, and I think I'm going to get a couple dollars for it. But it's, uh, it's difficult to make a fist. And it's weird. It didn't swell up for the first day. And then, like, I don't know, 30 hours after I got bit, all of a sudden, I was like, what the fuck is going on with my hand? So, uh, yeah, I'm recording the podcast later than I normally do. I used to always record it on uh, Thursday nights after I got home from my support group. And uh, and I, for some reason, I stopped doing that. And I started doing it during the day and tonight because I had to. I didn't get home till. Uh late. Uh, it's night out now, and there's something so comforting about doing this podcast at night. I don't know why I don't feel like I'm um, in a in a hurry. Uh, sometimes I get that feeling like uh, it's taking too long. like there's somewhere else I'm I'm supposed to be. Uh, like I'm not doing it right. But for some reason when I do it at night, it's like I don't hear that clock ticking and it feels really good. And I wonder if you guys can, can uh, have ever picked up on that when it, when it changed from me doing it at night to doing it during the day. I don't know. That's, I'm, I've had enough talk about me, at least for the next five seconds. Let's dive into some surveys before we get to that interview with, uh, with Maggie. This is from the ask Paul anything, uh, survey, and this is filled out by Sarah. And she writes, uh, Paul, I grew up watching TBS and remember you from dinner in a movie by a complete fluke. I stumbled upon your podcast when I was looking for some relief for intrusive thoughts. I've struggled with depression and OCD for most of my life. And OCD has ramped up again for me recently. Uh, I've been listening to other episodes of your podcast, and as others have said, I feel very safe and comfortable and comforted here listening to you and your guests. Well, that means a lot to me. I appreciate that. I know you're not a mental health professional, but you strike me as this accepting, loving, non-judgmental person that's rare these days. I've been haunted by something from my childhood for years, and I'm terrified that I will never get past this, but then I tell myself I don't deserve to. While the exact age range is fuzzy for me, I took—I believe it took place sometime between 12 and 16. There were a handful of instances where I was very cruel to our family dog. Writing that makes me feel sick, but it's true. I can remember taking the anger I felt inside out on our lab when he misbehaved, uh, hitting and kicking him at an age where I knew what I was doing was wrong. And even though I can speculate as to the reasons why I did this, a sometimes physically abusive father slash emotionally abusive and emotionally absent parents and loneliness, it does very little to absolve me of the constant guilt and shame I feel. For years I've contemplated suicide and feel that this would be just for the way I treated a helpless animal. Today, I have two dogs who I love more than anything and would never hurt them or let anything happen to them, but I still can't forgive my younger self. These memories make me feel so unlovable and like I've just been masking my true colors as this horrific monster. If people knew this about me, they would be horrified. Unlike an addict, I can't make amends or repair the harm I have caused. My childhood dog is long gone. Uh, I have gone to where he is buried and tried talking to him, but it just makes me feel worse. I've told therapists about this and their support helped temporarily, but I always end back in the, end up back in this dark place. What can I do? I want to live a peaceful life, but maybe this is karma for what I have done. First of all, welcome to the Beating Yourself Up Club. Uh, it's nice to meet you. Um, you were a child growing up in a chaotic environment and you were hurting and you took it on the closest thing next to you. And was it right to do? No, but you were a child and you don't do it anymore. End of story. Forgive yourself. You're a good person. You're pouring that love into, and I'm sure you loved on your dog too, your old dog. Just keep pouring that love into your, into the dogs you have and into the friends you have and, and towards yourself that that's what's really missing is you forgiving yourself you know what the dog probably thought when that was happening ouch hey i wonder when i'm getting food next thank you for your question this is uh also from the ask paul anything survey and it's filled out by it's you in case you forgot when paul reads it thanks paul um And they ask, I heard on your podcast that when someone expresses that they are upset over something you said or did, you sometimes attribute their reaction to their own issues and triggers. Such a great question. How do you know when you're not avoiding their feelings or that you may have done something wrong towards them? I'm in no way saying that you're doing anything wrong. I was just wondering if you can tell the difference. I'm going through a thing with a friend of mine when I expressed something she did that upset me. And she often attributes people's negative reactions towards her behavior as them being triggered by their own issues. I'm trying to figure out a way to possibly communicate my frustration with her in a way that's constructive. Have you ever had to deal with this yourself? Have you found a way that doesn't result in the ending of a friendship? Great question. And there is no single answer to that because every situation is different, the chemistry of everybody's relationship with somebody else is, is different but there are tools that I go to, I, I reflect on on if I find myself agitated or upset or the other person agitated or upset is I really go over what happened uh, in my mind and with people that I trust, people in my support group people that, that mentor me and those, uh, with my therapist. And, and I really think about what it is that I'm, that I'm going to say to that person. Um, because everything, first of all, everything doesn't need to be solved immediately. Sometimes I'll say to somebody, uh, you know what, get, you give me a lot to think about. Uh, can I, can I get back to you? Uh, but thank you for sharing that with me. And I'm sure there have been times when I, when I said, oh, they're just filtering it through their own, uh, you know, issues, and they weren't. I'm sure there have been times of that. We're going to make mistakes in relationships with people. But for me, the important thing is is understanding that I'm not always wrong or I'm not always right, and what am I going to do when, when those situations arrive? And I found expressing myself in terms of my feelings rather than assessing what it is that that person is doing as right or wrong is what matters and that allows them that gives them the space if they choose to to own up to their own actions and if they choose to to take responsibility for themselves uh, but great question i'm really uh i'm really glad you asked that um speaking of therapy uh this podcast is sponsored by BetterHelp online therapy uh relationships take work yes they do especially the most important one you can have in your life and that is your relationship with yourself i mean the the survey that i read about the woman who can't forgive herself or something that she did as a as a child um this shit gets it gets ingrained so deep in us and i don't know about you guys but i need i need help I need help and I will need help probably for the rest of my life and that's okay it makes my life better um, it brings me closer to people and in addition to my support groups online therapy with better help is, is one of the ways that I help myself uh, mentally and emotional, uh, emotionally and that to me is a, a great form of self-care so BetterHelp is online therapy that offers video, phone, and even live chat sessions with your therapist. So you don't have to see anyone on camera if you don't want to. It's much more affordable than in-person therapy, and you can be matched with a therapist in under 48 hours. Give it a try and see why over 2 million people have used BetterHelp online therapy. This podcast is sponsored by BetterHelp, and uh, Mental Illness Happy Hour listeners get 10% off their first month at BetterHelp.com/slash. Mental. That's B E T T E R H E L P dot com slash mental. We are sponsored this week by Bioptimizers. About 75% of people are magnesium deficient, and that can lead to higher levels of anxiety, irritability, trouble sleeping, and low energy. It can even contribute to foot and leg cramps while you sleep. Now, you might be wondering, does magnesium really affect all these things? Well, the answer is yes. In fact, magnesium is involved in more than 300 chemical processes inside your body. So a lot of different things can start to go wrong if you're deficient. Well, Bioptimizers has a magnesium supplement that you won't find in health stores because those usually just have two of the cheapest synthetic forms of magnesium. And since they're not full spectrum, you won't fix your magnesium deficiency. Bioptimizers has all seven unique forms of magnesium, and you got to get all of them if you want to experience its calming, health-enhancing effects. So, check it out. They sent me a bottle, I take two before I go to bed, and you guys can get an exclusive offer by going to magbreakthrough.com slash metal and then use metal during checkout to save 10% off any order and get free shipping. That's magbreakthrough.com slash mental and then use the offer code mental. And then finally, uh, this is a struggle in a sentence survey filled out by a guy who calls himself Brown Blob. And uh, he suffers from anxiety and depression about his anxiety. He says, always feeling like a rock is getting ready to fall on me and hoping it will so I don't have to feel anxiety anymore. And a snapshot from his life, Depression. I never know what to say when people ask me what I did on my days off. Staying in bed for two days doesn't seem like the right way to answer that question. Your fear of death is your love of life in reverse. And when you find them, it's a great feeling. (laughs) And I'm suddenly feeling horrible about (laughs) making that joke. But that's how far I will go to get a laugh because I am empty inside. Ah, you're in the right place. I'm here with Maggie Rowe, who is a performer and author. Uh, You got a book out now called Easy Street, which is, uh, it's so good. I was telling Maggie before uh, we started recording uh, that, Your sense of character and your ability to not only describe other people in a way that paints such a vivid picture, but your ability to describe your inner life and your emotional battles and your negative self-talk is, it's so great. It's so great.
0: Thanks. I, <laughs> like lo- that.
1: I love the first line of the book, which, which is, I am not a good person. <laughs> I was like, I, you, you had me at that. <laughs> you had me at that. And then you um, you talk in the book about some of the struggles you've you've had in the past, and I, and I want to uh, touch on each of them. But the first one I want to talk about is you talk about having pure OCD, for those that don't know, Um Talk about pure OCD and what that means in your particular brand of it.
0: (laughs) Yes, this is my very peculiar particular brand. So pure O or pure OCD is the uh, internal obsessive part without the corresponding physical compulsions. So it's intrusive thoughts, basically, and which is different than perseverating or... You know, being plagued by worry, it at least the difference in my mind is that it involves a feedback mechanism wherein th- there's this thing operating, which is I don't want to think that, and therefore I do. It's that little sticky wicket where um, I think pure o resides mm-hmm.
1: and when did that first come onto your radar? what did that what did that look like?
0: Well, it started with me when I uh, I grew up as an evangelical Christian, and I was told the basic idea, you need to accept Jesus as your personal savior, and once you do, all your sins are forgiven. But the idea was, except for one, God can forgive everything except for the one, which was blaspheming the Holy Spirit. So of course, me, everyone else was like, what is blaspheming the Holy Spirit? And the answer was nobody knows. Just don't do it. Uh, and so, in my mind, um, you know, this this imp, this you know, this uh, strange little mechanism took root. Which was, I told myself, don't blaspheme the Holy Spirit. Whatever you do, don't do that. So then, I would start saying things that were vile about some member of the trinity uh and then
1: outwardly saying them or uh, in, no internally in, in, internally like could you remember
0: oh so, you know i i've not, even now i feel like a little bit but fuck jesus the whole you know mm-hmm. jesus is bullshit holy ghost you're the least favorite of the trinity everyone <laughs> you're bullshit the whole thing is bullshit i hate you i hate god fuck you all fuck all th- you know like whatever horrible
1: and and to be clear you weren't emotionally connecting with these thoughts it's more like your brain was just taking a shit and you were witnessing it
0: yeah it was the idea that more than anything i did not want to blaspheme the holy spirit like what that was my number it's it's kind of similar to the don't think about pink elephants on the wall or white bears on the wall it it's this you know or you know Eve don't eat that it's it's like this this thing where because you're not supposed to do it it happens it's also the idea that the prohibition implies the action so as soon as I say don't think about pink elephants pink elephants is in that sentence mm-hmm. so as soon as I say don't blaspheme I blaspheme and so sometimes it would just become so pure <laughs> i about pure that I would just say blaspheme I would just say it Like, don't say it. And then I would do it. Like, don't do it. Do it. Um, And
1: Catholicism also shames thoughts, which is one of the cruelest things you can do to a human being. Because as as somebody in my support group said one time, we can't control whether or not a bird lands on our head, but we can certainly try to not let it build a nest there. Yes. But with pure O, it's like you can't even stop it from building a nest.
0: Yeah. Yeah yeah it's a real and it seems like it would not be that troubling of a phenomenon, like it's like, well, so you're thinking words you don't want to think, right. but what was difficult for me was this sense of being internally under attack, um under attack from within, uh which is like and the just this horrible feeling of like well, if I don't want this, why am I doing it, and then what is i and the whole thing is is a very uncomfortable phenomenon
1: and did you share this with anybody
0: yes eventually and how old were you when this was super early so that started maybe six or seven kind of as as soon as I accepted Jesus as my personal savior I was like all of a sudden the world got very very serious Um, the stakes were enormous and this is a, kind of an image that I remember of it. You know, it's, it, it was an, it's something that happened, but it, it kind of serves as a token for me. of like, oh, yeah, that's what it was. was I remember uh, me and my friends were spinning around on the lawn. It was like, get so dizzy that you fall down. And then you giggle. Ha, 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 And we were all doing that with our little skirts and blah, blah, blah. And I was having so much fun. And then I fell down once and I had this thought and I was like, oh, why aren't I working out my salvation? Why aren't I, it's one of the phrases that we, you know, and, and, and why aren't I, why haven't I witnessed to these girls? Um, you know, it's just this heaviness that came on very, very suddenly. Anyway, um, I talked to my parents about it who were wonderful, um, but didn't, you know, it. it's a- Weren't psychologists. They weren't psychologists. And then- They, in a great spirit, were like, I think you need to get baptized. I think you need to get baptized before the normal age. So I got baptized before my friends. I think I was, I don't know, nine or something. And the idea was maybe if you had—it was a great idea, actually— Maybe if you have this external validation of your salvation in front of a group of people, a ritual, maybe that will ease your uh, internal strife. It didn't. It upped it. And the fact that it didn't relieve me felt like proof that there was a real problem. Uh, Anyway, baptism, but... As part of the baptism process, I talked to my pastor, who I really think was a decent fellow, but I remember the thing he said to me, <laughs> he meant it, it was a compliment, but it was like, gosh, I'm not worried about my <laughs> self-esteem right now. He, he said, well, those were mighty big questions for such a little girl. And it was like, yeah, and what are the answers? <laughs> Right. <laughs> you know, how do I start? Yeah, good for me, you know. Right. I'm a real thinker. <laughs> Thanks, pet I was going to say his name, don't need to. Yeah. Thanks, Pastor. Um, and then I did not see a psychologist about it until I was 19, and I admitted myself to a psychiatric facility, evangelical psychiatric facility.
1: The irony of going to an evangelical psychiatric facility Facility for relig- religiosity yes. or wh- whatever the word is for yes, your brain.
0: Scrupulosity brand. was what they scrupulosity diagnosed it as. Now, in retrospect, so here was the thing that showed that it was a problem right away. Their slogan was psychiatry where the Bible comes first. So right away, they're like, we're putting putting doctrine ahead of your well-being.
1: Drink your way to sobriety.
0: Yeah, right, right. So, But what I felt, and I think it was true, was if I had gone to a secular organization, I don't know that they would have helped me. They would have said, hell isn't real. It's a scare tactic from the Middle Ages. Mm -hmm. Drop it. Move on. And I wouldn't have been able to. So this place did meet me at a place where I could be met. And to their credit, from the very beginning, because I went in for a fear fear of just overwhelming sense of Mm -hmm. going to hell. I was just terrified. Um, To their credit, at no point did any of them say, you should worry about your salvation. They absolutely said, this is a mental disorder. You have been forgiven. You did it. You said the prayer right. You're okay. You need to believe it. They were well-meaning. They were well-meaning. And it was, I couldn't at that moment have gotten rid of the notion of hell. I couldn't do it. I needed this kind of halfway point of people going, yeah, it's real. And yeah, you got to be worried about all of your friends. But you're okay. (laughs) Um, So it was ultimately very helpful for me.
1: And did that help relieve uh, the the Puro, at least temporarily?
0: Well, here's how it helped. I had several problematic therapists, but I had one that I loved who told me this slogan. It was from Martin Luther, uh, who himself uh, had scrupulosity. Really? Yes. Yes. Terrified of going to hell. Terrified. Martin Luther did all kinds of things, self-mortification, you know, like, Crazy shit, like would only eat what was under his fingernails for a day. Like oh, my God. Like crazy stuff. And it was all to prove to himself that, yeah, I think fear of hell started the Protestant uh, Reformation. <laughs> <laughs> That's why. Uh, but yeah, but Martin Luther had this doctrine called the doctrine of pecafortiter, which was the doctrine of the brave sin, which was sin bravely in order to know the forgiveness of God. Really? That not that a crazy... And wasn't that the name
1: of your first book? Yes. Bra- yes. Brave Sin?
0: Yeah, Sin Bravely. Sin Bravely. Yeah. And what he told me, this therapist, this rather radical therapist, is he said, what God wants more than anything for you right now, Maggie, is to believe that you are forgiven. Therefore, the thing that's getting in your way is all of these prohibitions. So he was like, screw it. Do whatever you want to do. Do all the sins that you want to sin. And when you do that, you're helping your relationship with God. So I I did it. <laughs> and what did
1: that look like?
0: Um,
1: if you're comfortable talking he, about it.
0: It looked uh, – well, one thing that I can comfortably talk about because it was in uh, Sin Bravely, uh, went to an amateur contest at a strip club.
1: Uh, and how old were you at
0: this point? I was 19. Yeah. Uh, uh, but that was the first in a series of brave sins. Mm -hmm. And it was like, I I had played a stripper in a play in college and I was like, this was fun. Mm -hmm. Uh, and so that came under the category of something that I felt like I wanted to do, but I wouldn't because of a prohibition. And so I said, okay, all right. As part of my Christian path, I'm Mm -hmm. going to do this. Um, So it's a long process, but that did help me. And it also helped the looping thoughts.
1: Yeah, that must have been incredibly freeing. Yeah. Giving yourself permission to embrace the forbidden.
0: Yeah. Yeah. Even just like swearing. I didn't swear. I mean, I didn't say, gosh, they told us that at Sunday school, they told us gosh was just a, you know, it was just a hair's breadth away of ta- from taking the Lord's name in vain. Yeah.
1: So holy fuck was off the table. <laughs> yeah.
0: <laughs> but then all of a sudden I was <laughs> F-bombing everywhere. Yeah. Oh, I'd like a fucking cup of coffee. Yeah. That's a great fucking cinnamon
1: roll. <laughs> yeah. and, and describe your emotions as, as you started— doing this any snapshots you remember in particular and and what the yes. feeling was not only intellectually but in your body
0: the great question well i would say that the whole process was a real series of two steps forward you know one step forward two steps back in the sense that i would have this elation of like i'm going to wear this i'm going to talk like this i'm going to I remember I used to steal shit from the, you know, Walgreens that was, you know, just for, and then it would have a whip, it it, it would, there would be a whiplash effect where my anxiety would skyrocket and the looping thoughts about hell would be really, really overpowering um, and uncomfortable. Uh, at that time I was on regular medication, so that was helpful. But it was definitely like a roof roof roo. the snapshot that I have of and uh, talking about something physical I remember re- reading this passage in the midst of my like right in my like fiercest of the sin bravely campaign was I read the book um uh uh. Uh and why am I blanking on it now? The it was the Kazantzakis book, Jesus. Um they made it it was a movie starring Willem Defoe. Oh, gosh, and now I'm blanking the on it. The Last Temptation of Christ. Yes, exactly. Yeah. Woof. So I was reading The Last Temptation of Christ. I was on a few drugs. I was alone in my apartment. Dating a fellow I the church would not have condoned. And I read this part of Last Temptation of Christ, and it was a continuation of a parable in the Bible. Let me tell you the parable in case you don't, in case people don't, don't know it. Uh, basically, it's the parable of the rich man and Lazarus, different than Lazarus, who was uh, rose from the dead. Uh, Lazarus, uh, basically... There's a rich man and there's a servant. And the servant, Lazarus, is so poor and hungry. And he begs at the door and says, please, I just want a crust of your bread, rich man. And the rich man says, no, I don't care about you. And then they both die. Rich man goes to hell. Lazarus' servant is in heaven. And there's a scene where the rich man says to Lazarus, I've made such a mistake. Please, please, I'm so sorry. I'm burning up. I'm burning up. Can you please just fetch some water to touch the tip of my tongue? And basically, in the Bible, Lazarus, with God's, you know, support, says, Nope, too late. Should have been nice to me back then. Fuck (laughs) y'all. Like, that's what happens. And it's horrifying. It's horrifying because, yeah, the rich man was a dick, but it's like I knew I wasn't, you know, it was horrible. So in Last Temptation of Christ, Christ, I'm drugged up. I'm reading this. And it's so kind. Jesus is talking to his favorite disciple, John. And Jesus tells this story. And John goes, but that can't be the end of the parable. That That can't be the end. He, he couldn't have let the man suffer like this. And it just made me weep Uh, Jesus um, leaned forward and said ah yes that is why you were my disciple of course of course God's love and and forgiveness extends to all even the rich man of course and it just like the I just cried and cried and cried like this idea that it's not even that Jesus didn't say it it's like that wasn't the end yeah maybe you know and even Mm -hmm. in this like and it's a metaphor but it just uh something loosed in my body uh that night And,
1: and and it sounds like there there was an an element in your of you searching for gentleness in the world yeah
0: yeah it was so kind and you know part of my process of you know extricating myself from the religious do- uh, dogma was thinking of God as a woman <laughs> just for a period of time, few years. You know, it was like I needed to have an image that was more gentle. Mm-hmm. Um, and even though I, I wasn't like, oh, I think God is really a female. I'm like, I'm just going to use this imagery. Because it, it's, it's hard for me to imagine a female doing the kind of cruelty implicit and right. a so it was a psychological step that was
1: yeah i i was okay. raised catholic and it, it it took a conscious effort for me to move from the idea of a god or higher power of the universe being judgmental to one yeah. that got me
0: yeah yeah
1: and uh, warts and all
0: yeah and
1: th- and that was a big step in yeah. in in terms of being able to accept myself, and not feel like I was always on thin ice, about yes. to be punished for my internal badness.
0: Absolutely, it's such a precarious, w- you know, way to be. And you know, I, w- I was learning about um, complicated attachment theory as it relates to uh, a, sp- a God, a spiritual parent,
1: mm-hmm.
0: and how people that grow up with a God that you're supposed to say is nice and loving and really behaves awfully creates a similar pattern in children with a parent that seems great and actually beats you you know it's mm-hmm. it's the same kind of wait what? God loves me but wait he does all these things and if I mess up you know all this it's it's just so much cognitive dissonance yeah. to try to resolve especially as a kid
1: yeah so, what are some some other? Uh, well, well, let's let's talk about. And I suppose this is kind of related, uh, as you talk about in the book, your obsession with yourself, your value, your morality, and this secret life that that you have internally, where you, as you say in the book, you present. Nicely. Yeah. But deep down, you believe that you are not necessarily bad, but not as nice as everybody perceives you to be. Is no. that, am I putting words in your mouth?
0: Nope, not okay. at all. I feel like I come across as a very nice person. <laughs> My parents are southern and they're a delight. <laughs> They've kind of raised me with certain mannerisms, but I often feel the real gap. Between what I'm presenting and what I'm really thinking, and because often I am really plagued by envy, and I feel like that's the that's of the seven deadly sins. That's the one that's the most shameful. That's mm. the one that nobody wants to
1: talk about. And, and that's one of the things that I really connected to in your book because you're so nakedly honest about it, and uh, it it's really refreshing. To have somebody be, you know, petty is not the right word, but um, to embrace that mm-hmm. or at least shine a light on that yeah. part of us because it's so easy to not be grateful and to go, boy, that person's got it made.
0: And I think the first part of envy, it like if you can acknowledge it like right there before it like. Propagates into mm-hmm. something more like the true envy when you just go when you just are like honest about it and you just go, Man, I want what she has and I'm mad that she got it and not me. Mm-hmm. <laughs> like if you can just say that before it turns into where you start deceiving yourself, where it's like, oh, she suck, you know, she's a sellout, she's a you know, mm-hmm. like when you start moving into like criticizing yourself. Or I'm not jealous. I just, I just don't like the way I'm happy she...
1: for her and I... her imminent death. <laughs> <laughs> <Yes>. Fingers crossed.
0: <laughs> and if, like, if we, people could just, at least with me, I think it's helpful, and I do with my friends, of just fessing up and just going, oh, I'm just so envious. And stopping myself before I go, before I either get self-righteous mm-hmm. about, like, well, I just think... You know, Mm -hmm. I don't like the conversation that she has with the world, you know, or, Mm -hmm. or, you know, or moving into, you know, actively wishing somebody bad, Mm -hmm. which is a temptation. The fantasy to go into, oh, wouldn't it be great Mm -hmm. if I showed her, you know, or feeling
1: a little bit of smug happiness if they have a setback. Or something yes. bad happens to them, being like, well, now they've come down to my level.
0: Totally.
1: Here in the pit of misery.
0: Totally. And the initial flash of the feeling, I feel like you can't really stop, just like thoughts. But it's like, do you nurture that? Do you, I mean, I can totally go on Google with somebody that I feel competitive with. It's terrible. It's, a, it's just, it's like poison to your Especially
1: mind. Especially in show business. Oh, in the creative yeah. arts. It's, oh. it's not a meritocracy.
0: No. And that's what I think envy thrives on is the feeling of not fair, right? of injustice, because you're not quite as envious of somebody that has worked hard and has a lot of skill and those two things came together mm-hmm. to give them a good life. It's that, not, oh, I work so hard <laughs> and I... Yeah. Yes.
1: Well let's play uh an envy game. Let's go back and forth oh, and, and talk about uh just whatever pops into our mind, people or situations that we're we're envious of.
0: <laughs> great. Um, I'll crush
1: you. <laughs> <laughs> um, I am envious of people that have nice pools in their in their backyard. You have a pool in your backyard, mm-hmm. don't you?
0: Yep. <laughs> <laughs> I am envious. Of people who enjoy swimming and are not counting the calories that they're burning while they're doing it. Oh, that's a great one.
1: (laughs) Uh, I'm envious of people whose belly button is completely flat, you know, where their belly doesn't extend out from the – where there's no hole. It's just completely flat. I always look at that and and I think, God, if I had that? yeah. Clothes would feel so oh, much better. That's it. When I when I tie my skates for hockey, it wouldn't be hard to breathe.
0: Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's a good one. That's a good one. In fact, if I had to pick a physical one, that one might be it. So it's mm-hmm. hard for me to think of another one of that. I am envious of oh, the women with the effortlessly chiseled arms. Just mm-hmm. the small little line that goes. Yeah, little tricep here, little bicep here,
1: mm-hmm. but
0: especially the ones that don't work for it. It's right. that's and the don't end even day.
1: seem to be aware of it. Yeah, like oh, what? oh, these arms.
0: Oh yeah, yeah. I guess my mom always had fit arms. I don't know right. genetics, whatever. <laughs>
1: right. uh, I'm I'm envious of people that can eat as many sweets as they want to without gaining weight. I know that's a really common one, no, but no, that's um, a good one. Yeah, no, I, I feel that. Yeah,
0: I feel that. I am envious of, okay, this is a good one. (laughs) I am envious of people who can watch The Great American Bake Off by themselves and enjoy it. I cannot watch television by myself without feeling desperately lonely. And so I have to have somebody to watch television with me. Either my husband lives with me, so that's convenient right right now, or I have to invite a friend over, and definitely with reality television.
1: So I think those people are lucky. Is it because you want to talk about it with them, or you just want another body there to not feel like you're, uh, as you talk about in the book, being a dilettante?
0: I think it's that it just seems so lonely. It just seems like, well, there's nobody to talk to. Why would I watch a sitcom by myself. Right. <laughs> but it was like growing up, I, I never watched yeah. television by myself and yeah. I had to have my parents there. Mm-hmm. So it's just an experience I've never had. Mm-hmm. So those people, all you people that can watch television mm-hmm. on your own in a hotel room, well, must be nice.
1: <laughs> I'm envious of people who have no struggle with productivity, who who uh. seem to be fulfilling all of their potential
0: oh yeah that's a good one that's a good one yes people that are yes yes that's a good one okay on a slightly different note i envy anyone in one of these like soul cycle spin cycle uh you know boot camp anything physical who responds to somebody going go 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 you can do it you can do it Somebody that is actually encouraged and not angered by <laughs> a coach trying to get them to reach their potential.
1: Uh, I and the men who, uh, as they age, their face doesn't sag. They look. Oh. They look like uh, I, I saw a Rob Lowe. On TV uh, yeah. the other night, and I turned to one of my friends, and I was like, look at that fucker. He looks the exact same as he did in
0: 1985. <laughs> yes, Fuck yes. Him. And he does. And he does. Okay. I envy people who—I'm probably close to the same age as mm-hmm. Rob Lowe, I would guess. I envy people our age who have had gigantic careers and are now moving on to the next phase.
1: Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm i envy comedians whose originality seems effortless mm. who who just crank out one special after another and there's nothing derivative in yes. it it's they're talking yes. about stuff that has meaning and they're finding that jokes I, i'm sure you know this all comedians have this experience where they go oh my god that's the joke yeah, about
0: yeah 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 about
1: that subject matter. Yeah, they yeah, pulled yeah, it yeah. out. It's like they delivered yeah. a baby whole with no struggle.
0: Yes, yes, totally. Okay, well, I envy. I don't have children. It was by choice, but in retrospect, you know. Uh, so I not only envy mothers, but I envy mothers specifically. This is what I specifically member envy. When I see a mother with like four to six children with one of those gigantic bags that have like books and bottles and bangles and bingles and she's just effortlessly managing like a mother hen Her four little ducklings behind her, and not not without breaking a
1: sweat. (laughs) Yeah, that's a good one. It seems like such a stupid one, but I I envy people that have private jets and can just go anywhere on a Uh, moment's notice. I always think about. Can you imagine what it'd be like to go? Let's go have lunch in uh, you know, Paris.
0: Yes. Yes. Okay, now on that, I envy people that could have an invitation like let's go to lunch in Paris and would find it a spontaneous delight instead of, oh, I didn't plan for this. Right, right.
1: <laughs> I envy people who seemingly don't have a dark side, who oh. seemingly have never hurt or disappointed anybody oh. and and aren't even aware of how good
0: They are. Mm, Yes. 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 The light folk. Mm -hmm. Yes. I I often, I I will meet people that are, that i just feel are light and it doesn't make them, it doesn't make them bad, but yeah.
1: They don't seem to struggle with. I'm a piece of shit or yes. I've blown it. I'm too lazy. I'm I'm I made the wrong choices. I'm dumb. Hey, you know whatever yes. the conversation of the day is.
0: Yes, yes, that's good. I envy I envy people who have a very particular peculiar hobby. That will seem to interest them for the rest of their lives. Oh, my lives. God,
1: yes. I see <sighs> woodworkers. Who, oh, woodworkers. Who? Because I go through phases where I crank out stuff, and then I won't go in the shop for three years.
0: Oh, but you are a woodworker, so you're am, one of those. Yeah, this, uh, oh, I made this oh, table. This was well, a tree
1: in my front yard. Well, I'm here I here there. I
0: am envious of you. <laughs> this is exactly
1: what I'm talking about. Look at this. But I haven't been in there in in so long and i have all this wood that i could be woodworking with but the passion isn't there Uh and i'll you know come across a website where you know i'd looked at this person's work five years ago and now there's this huge collection of stuff they've done in the meantime Uh, and i've done nothing uh, i've done nothing yes
0: yes yes the we yeah the well you you have woodworking at least it, it could fire up the ones that I, are like people that love model train sets mm-hmm. that they could just go down to the basement mm-hmm. and just watch that train go around the train. and nobody can take that away from them <laughs> right. nobody can say you can't you know. As long as they got a room and they got their trains.
1: You get the the feeling that they've never sat in the front of the TV where there's literally a thousand things you can choose from to watch and none of them feel interesting.
0: Yes, exactly. Exactly. In fact, you know, I'm envious of my husband's ability sometimes to find – to just be entertained. Mm -hmm. (laughs) It makes him sound slow that he's easily entertained, (laughs) but he is. But he told me once – That he had never turned on the television, looked through the guide, and not found something of great interest in him. Oh, fuck him. him. (laughs) And I want you
1: to pass that along to him.
0: Yes, yes. Um, Interests.
1: I'm envious of guitarists who were born with long fingers and mm. when they play the guitar it just looks like their body was built to play it yeah. you know their fingers just fly they can do these chords where they stretch over seven frets and and you just know that no matter how hard you practice you would never be able to yes. come close to that
0: I envy on those same lines anything that is a skill that within 20 seconds you could demonstrate it and everyone in your group would go in your peer group would go yeah that's excellent like yeah. a guitar a guitar solo can do 20 seconds and you know every guitar great if it's great would go that's great right. you know with acting you're not going to act for you know you right. could write so it's it's just mushy it's mushy it's not easily measurable yeah yeah
1: i envy people who who will never have to worry about money or retirement
0: yes i worry about i worry about a i worry about a retirement that is not full That is a diminishment. Mm -hmm. Um, Hopefully I won't have one.
1: (laughs) Uh, And the directors who are so clearly operating on an artistical level that... You feel like no matter what room they're in, everybody is in awe of mm-hmm. them. Yes. You know, somebody Somebody like, even though I would not want to have had his brain because he seemed so compulsively controlling, but somebody like Stanley Kubrick, yeah, yeah. who, you know, there's nobody yeah. who would say, eh, he's not that great. Yes. Just a total visionary.
0: Yes, I like. I envy any visionary and any anyone who is not concerned with what other people think, and mm-hmm. it's just like this is the way I see it. Right. Like in a restaurant, you know, anywhere that kind of uh, faith in one's own perspective or standing in mm-hmm. your own authority.
1: I envy uh, Greta Thunberg. Oh yes, and just how so early in her life she has found meaning and purpose, and is uh, just somebody you point to, and and, and if you had kids, you would go, now that is a good human
0: being. Yes, 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 she found her metier very young, and yes, yes. Although it, it just made me think, it's a little off our envy thing, but it just made me think of old friend that passed, Taylor Negron, who mm-hmm. was an actor and writer and wonderful human being. And his favorite poem was this poem called Ithaca. Ithaca with the K uh, uh, is in the land that Odysseus was uh, seeking. And he would always say to me, he would say to everyone, it wasn't just me, uh, may your, ro-, this is from the poem, may your road to Ithaca be long. And the idea was, may it take a long time to find your, and the idea that was that the seeking period mm-hmm. gets a lot of bad press. But
1: I, I love that way of, of putting it because, you know, you hear over and over, you know, it's, it's, it's the journey. It's not the, the right. end place because
0: none of us buy it.
1: None of us buy it.
0: <laughs> we say it. I uh, say it. I remember but secretly
1: reading a quote by uh, Prince where he said, "I've been to the top of the mountain and there's nothing there."
0: Ah, fantastic, fantastic. It's a very, it's a very. Yeah, I mean, it's not just a Buddhist idea. I come to that idea through Buddhism. I'm a member of this Zen center, but that's one of the ideas. Is I'm going to forget the name of it, but it's it's like this idea of the white castle that you're you're always looking out mm-hmm. at this thing and then as soon as you get to the castle.
1: You're was, like, oh, there's bed bugs.
0: <laughs> yes. Or or in this that it disappears in front of you. Like it was it was all a mirage. It was all an illusion. Yeah. These yeah. So, keep chasing. Keep chasing those phantoms. <laughs> there's
1: there's this saying and I'm sure I'm butchering it, but um I I would rather have when I, what I want than to um Want what I don't have? Oh, I don't even want to know why I even broke it, brought it up. But it's <laughs> yeah, yeah. oh, I would rather want what I have than to uh, worry about getting what, what I, I want. Wa- what I want? Yep. Because it's so easy to oh. get caught in that place where you're like, if I just get that, I'll I'll feel comfortable totally. in my skin. Uh, And I have experienced moments where I look around and I'm like, I have a fucking amazing life and I can feel it.
0: Yeah, That's one of the things that
1: brought me into support groups was I felt like I was on the other side of a plexiglass window. My life was on the other Ah. side of it. And I could intellectually understand that it was good, but I couldn't feel it. I felt numb and empty. And do you have moments when you're able to feel... Your life and to feel gratitude
0: yes i I would say I am, I was just thinking, as you were talking, just the old kid' song, uh if you're happy and you know it, clap your hands right. it's that and you know it part <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> that's uh that's more difficult than you would think yes i definitely I definitely have moments of gratitude, and here's the thing that's helpful with me with the gratitude thing. Is not expecting there to be giant swaths of ongoing fulfillment without trouble, but just just expecting that moments are enough mm-hmm. I remember hearing you know that you don't have to look for lightning strikes uh, lightning to strike you can you can notice a lightning bug on the way oh, I like that um, and and there is something about. Have I gotten to the point that I wake up and I'm like, wow, this is living. You know, it's okay. like my little sister who who was born with a wonderful disposition. Um, she used to wake up in the morning and go, it's day! It's day! <laughs> and she would run down the stairs and I feel like even as an adult woman, she's, so, she's a little bit close to that. Wow. Um, and I don't have that. but But I will say as I've gotten older I feel like um the I, I've gotten better at the art of mm. gratitude. Yeah. And I do think it's an art. Yeah.
1: I envy people who are easily surprised by comedy and and laugh easily get to experience (laughs) that it's it's like I I can sit through a comedy I enjoy or even a comedian I enjoy for an hour hour and a half and appreciate its brilliance but not laugh out loud once
0: me too me too yes when you see like even when you see studio audiences just going oh Mm -hmm. (laughs) yes totally that's another one my husband has I guess I'm really envious of it. But but yes, the ability, an easy laugh. Yeah. Oh, that would be nice.
1: Um, um, Oh, go ahead. Oh, no. Oh,
0: let's see. An easy laugh. Uh, I envy people that have one of those laughs, like Alan Alda. I think of him Mm -hmm. as being one of the prototypical people, but like have one of those laughs that just give everyone – <laughs> seemingly a sense of euphoria <laughs> mm-hmm. upon hearing it.
1: I'm yeah. envious of families that are not only emotionally close but physically close. Like when you see oh, yeah. uh you know they're piled onto a couch and they're yes. laying their heads on each other's shoulders oh, and I just think yeah. oh my god that oh, yeah, seems that like heaven. Me.
0: Yeah, yeah, that kills me. Yes, I I very much notice that. I notice it specifically with mothers and daughters. Yeah. That kind of ease of physical familiarity that you don't even think about you're just used to it yeah yeah oh i got so envious once when i was at i I went to one of these like korean day spas and which i've always thought of like as a refuge of like kind of lady with no kids you know it's Mm -hmm. not a it's not a family thing it's not like going to great America where I'll feel silly without children this was but there was this one woman who came in and she was breastfeeding she had an infant and she was just in the hot water and I've never seen a woman seem like she was more blissed out she was just enjoying the water she had a baby baby wanted to breastfeed sometimes sometimes it didn't (laughs) It was just all groovy, and she was doing that woman thing. Not (laughs) self
1: conscious at all. No. Oh,
0: no. She was Mother Earth. This is a new gen. It's like, no, this is ruined for me. (laughs) Yeah.
1: Uh, I'm uh, uh, such a cliche one, but I'm envious of men that are well endowed.
0: Uh, oh I, well, I'm wildly envious of women with big breasts. Yeah. Always happen.
1: Yeah. <laughs> I am envious of people that can go do sporting adventures that are. Not necessarily dangerous, but kind of risky and expensive. Like people that can rent a helicopter and go find fresh powder in the mountains of of Mm -hmm. Alberta.
0: Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, I'm going to go big and broad here. I envy anyone who is an adventurer or who has ever been good at playing any sport ever.
1: (laughs) Sports were not your
0: thing. (laughs) horrible. Horrible. I've got really tall, really quick. And... Did't know how those limbs could go together it was It was a lot of falling down
1: <laughs> let's do let's do one more each right. um I'm envious of dogs and how simple their mm-hmm. lives are, and that they don't have to pay rent
0: yeah, yeah, they're living, yeah my dogs are really really i okay well, I envy. Dogs, for that exact Mm. reason, but also dogs like my dogs, that when there are two of them and they seem made for each other, Mm. and it was just happenstance that they were rescued around the same time, but they've got a soulmate and they didn't do anything to work for it.
1: (laughs) That's a great one. Is there anything else you want to talk about before we, we wrap up?
0: No, it was really fun to talk.
1: Yeah, I'm really glad we got to dive into Envy, and thanks for sharing all that stuff about the the Puro and the scrupulosity. Um, it's so fascinating. Mm-hmm. And uh, Maggie's book is called uh, uh, Easy Edie Easy Street. Street, and it's uh, it's so good. It's so good. Uh, and people, I imagine, can get it anywhere they want. Anywhere. Social media, they can follow you at.
0: Oh, I have a website,
1: com. And row is R O W E. Yes. Thanks so much, Maggie. Thanks. I truly enjoyed that. Truly enjoyed that. And she is a great writer. Check her stuff out. We are sponsored this week by Inside Tracker. Everybody ages at different speeds, and your outer age may not reflect your inner age. Uh, You know, a lot of times when we get our blood drawn and they run tests on it, they're very kind of cursory. They maybe tell us three, four things about it. They'll say, you know, whether or not we're in in an acceptable range of a certain thing. Um, Inside Tracker is way, way more detailed than that. They tell you not only are you in, in, in an acceptable range of something, but are you in the optimal range of stuff? Uh, It's created by leading scientists in aging, genetics, biometrics, they analyze your blood, your DNA, and fitness tracking data to identify where you're optimized and where you're not. You get a daily action plan with personalized guidance on the right exercise, nutrition, and supplementation for your body. So, for a limited time, get 20% off the entire Inside Tracker store. Just go to insidetracker.com forward slash mental. Let's dive into some surveys. This is from the Shame and Secret survey filled out by, uh, and and I'm just gonna read a portion of uh, some of these surveys because I I can never get to as many surveys as as I want to read. And so sometimes I think to myself, why don't I just read portions of these? Because I don't always need to read the entire thing. Uh, And then I call myself stupid and then I jump in front of a car. Uh, this was filled up by a woman who calls herself a uh, need to be cared for. She was uh, raised in a um, very manipulative uh, environment. Um, she was the victim of sexu- sexual abuse. Um, she's experienced physical and emotional abuse. But I wanted to read her darkest secret. She writes... I have a need for sympathy and to be cared for. I have a need to play the medical patient, poor disabled girl role. I know this means I have Munchausen's, among other things. I will freely admit to anyone all of my mental health struggles, but not that one. Um, And uh, Munch... uh, Oh, I never knew that there was regular Munchausen's. I always had heard Munchausen's by proxy, and I was like, what's that? Uh, that's where the parent keeps making the child sick, so that they can be the, you know, caretaker, rescuer, get the attention, you know, whatever, whatever it is. Um, but yeah, that that uh, now I understand why <laughs> they always added the by proxy. Uh, I will freely admit to anyone. Okay, about that. Not even my doctor, psychiatrist, or therapist. No, I can never admit it to anyone anywhere but here. This is the first time I've ever been able to speak these words. I love being hospitalized. I hate the feeling of actually being sick, but being a hospitalized patient makes even that worth it. The best I can seem to get is occasional short-term psych hospitalization. To be sick enough to need intense, invasive medical care is my dream. I'm afraid I've developed a hospital addiction in response to my many hospitalizations over the years, but even as a little girl, before any of the psych hospitalizations, I would dream about and pray to get sick with something like cancer. Back then, it would have served as a means of escaping the abuse. Now I think it would fulfill my need to be cared for and to feel unconditionally loved, even though love, though the love and concern it would get me would ultimately be based on the condition of my illness, thus not truly being unconditional. I don't just get concerned when I find out a family. Uh, a friend or a family member has been hospitalized for a potentially serious or life-threatening medical condition, I get jealous, too, and wish it was me instead. Thank you for sharing that, and I'm really glad that you feel uh, that this is a place where you can share that without without judgment, and um, <clears throat> I, I certainly feel no judgment towards you. If anything, I, I, I feel a kinship uh, because I had tons of surgeries as a, as a kid, and while there was part of it that I hated, the physical pain, the humiliating nature uh of them because some of them were on my my testicles or uh and some were on my groin um that part of it was fucking awful but i loved being in bed not having to do anything and having people come care for me that i can totally relate to um i i the degree to which you're experiencing this is is something that I don't share, but I can see how somebody could have that because we all have our thing. You know, mine's drugs and alcohol and video games and sex. And, and um, you know, we, I think a lot of us, especially those of, of us who hate making mistakes and are people pleasers and strive to be perfect maybe just in our head responsibility is like a fucking mountain and it is just so overwhelming and i think a lot of us also want to have our pain witnessed we want to be seen we want to be the person that is the focus of love and and nurturing and um Yeah, I still remember that feeling of fucking 11 years old and that nurse from Philadelphia singing me songs and putting my name into it and thinking, why doesn't my mom show me that much love and tenderness? Yeah. I always joke, you know, I've had, I don't know, eight surgeries in the last 20 years. And, um mostly for hockey-related stuff. Um, But every time I get wheeled uh, on that gurney under the warm blankets, you know, and the nice nurse who's just checking to make sure you're okay puts Valium in my arm, oh, fuck. I want to live there. I want to rent a house in that place. So I, I get it. I get it. And thank you for sharing that. You know, I really love when we get surveys that cover um, stuff that we don't talk about a lot on this podcast. And I hope that wasn't annoying that I made it all about me. It's all about me, though, isn't it? Really? You get right down to it. Uh, this is from the shame and secret survey filled out by a woman who calls herself Yikes. And um She's never been sexually abused. Uh, she's not sure if she's been physically abused. Uh, she's been emotionally abused. Uh, she's 19, identifies as straight, was raised in a pretty dysfunctional environment. She writes, I don't know what emotions I'm feeling. I think it's a result of my parents not engaging with me emotionally. I feel so stupid when my therapy, therapist asks me how I feel. Oh my God, I, I know that feeling. I know that feeling it creates such dread. It's like, I don't want to make a mistake in saying I'm feeling the wrong thing. But 80% of the time, it's I'm feeling nothing. I think for those of us that engage in addictive behaviors, a lot of the time, yeah, maybe we're feeling anger or sadness, but a lot of the time we're feeling nothing. Uh, I truly don't know. The best answer I can often give is good, okay, or bad. I'm afraid to be myself around my parents. That's, That's one of the reasons why I wanted to read this survey. That feeling of being around somebody that you can't be yourself around is so exhausting. I have to pick my words carefully with my father. I once broke down about my anxiety to my father and he told me things like, put on your big girl pants. You're overreacting and you don't know what you're talking about. You're too young to know anything. I feel like this isn't big enough, quote, abuse. Uh, I guess, uh, oh, and that's the end uh, of that, uh, that answer. I mentioned this on last week's episode, read the book Running on Empty by Dr. Janice Webb. It is about this, and this is neglect is a form of abuse, and it doesn't matter what envelope the pain arrives in. It's still pain. It's still neglect. Uh, Any positive experiences with the abusers? I guess we've had some fun times, but I realized that I learned so young to conform to his expectations that it kind of ruins all the good memories darkest thoughts that I want to get so bad that I'm admitted to inpatient so I don't have to be a part of my life for a while. Similarly, that I could just take a break from life. I have hypochondria. In short, I think I'm dying all the time. And sometimes I think about how when I die, I'll finally stop worrying and and I'll finally be okay. Because once you're dead, you don't have to worry about dying. Darkest secrets. Isn't it amazing? The the themes that come up you know i don't intentionally put these surveys together they're very often time um the order that i i've read them in um and it's just amazing how these themes will, will will come up and i always feel like that's the universe kind of saying to me and saying to you guys hey you're not alone you're not alone we're we're all feeling some version of this this pain and this confusion and doubt and uh, any positive? Oh yeah, I've read that one already. Um, darkest Secrets. Uh, I was a bully to someone with bipolar disorder. I was part of a group that were actively against her and I was too afraid of them to stand up and say us bullying her wasn't okay. I've sent a few sincere apologies and keep wishing her well. Now I'm trying to keep my distance because I know I might remind her of painful times. I just hope now I'm doing the right thing to make the best of what bad things have been done. I just want her to be okay. And you know, whether or not she's going to be okay is up is up to her, but you've taken care of your side of it. And that's awesome, you know. that That's all we can ask for because, uh, you know, we fuck up. Sexual fantasy is most powerful to you. I just want someone to be nice, LOL. Someone who understands my hypochondria-related fears. I'm afraid that will never happen. I'm so afraid of my own body and what pain and disease it can experience uh, without intimate contact with others. So sex seems like a giant red flag saying it's not worth it. Sex equals illness and complications. And I can't deal with anything else. Sharing this makes me feel stupid and pitiful. I feel like everyone who hears this is gonna think that poor naive little girl. How can I be afraid of something that most people actively pursue? What if anything would you like to say to someone you haven't been able to? Everything I hide from my therapist, the fear of intimacy, the hate I hold for my body, the wish for inpatient and higher level of care, the fact that I don't think I'm sick enough, you know, as I was reading your survey, I was, I was just thinking, of course you don't feel safe in the world. You grew, you grew up in a household where it wasn't safe to feel. So as an adult, unless we actively begin to do things to combat that wiring, to undo that wiring in our brain we're gonna seek out things whether it's a fantasy in our head about getting sick or being taken care of or avoiding intimacy that's how we're going to cope with it and then we blame ourselves and we're like why am i so fucking weird but you're you're not alone you're so not alone i'm sending you a hug This is an email that I got from uh, Karina, and she writes, Hello, all guys. I know my message may be too specific, but my sister found nice man, and they married, so how about me? Question mark, exclamation point. I am 25 years old, Karina. I know English and German languages also, and I have specific disease named nymphomania. Who knows what is this can understand me better. Better to say it immediately. Well, I, Karina, I am so sorry that you've been diagnosed with nymphomania. Uh, I can't imagine what that doctor visit was like, and um, I hope your parents were there for you when the doctor told you that you're a nymphomaniac, because we need support. We need support when uh, when somebody tells that they're they're look. You know, like when you tell somebody they're dying of cancer, you are, you know, you have six weeks to live. When it's an infomaniac, you say, listen, there's never going to be enough cock. You can search high and wide, but you will never find enough cock. Or if pussy's your thing, never going to find enough pussy. And then the doctor high-fives you in a really creepy way, and everybody silently lets themselves out of the hospital. Oh, I made myself laugh. I thought of the stupidest fucking joke when I was in the urgent care waiting for the doctor to uh, look at my hand, and so here's the joke that I that I imagined performing on the podcast, and and then I was like, it is so dumb. Why would I fucking do that? And then I was like, yeah, but. Since when am I trying to impress these guys? I've been a jackass for 10 straight fucking years with lame jokes wall to wall. So uh, the, the joke is, I, I went to see the doctor. I got a bee sting on my hand and my hand swelled up. And, and so I said, to the doctor I said, why are you here? I said, well, as you can see, my hand is red and swollen. He said, that's not your hand, that's your penis. And I thought, that's why I've never wanted handball. You're such an idiot. Oh, I'm not laughing at how funny that is. I'm laughing at how dumb I am. How I could be a grandfather, and that joke made me laugh. But the real shame is on you because you spent time listening to me. You should be ashamed of yourself. I know in this podcast I should I say don't shame yourself. The one thing I'm going to tell you you should shame yourself for is listening to me, and that is unforgivable. I would rather you kick your dog than admit to another human being that you listen to this podcast. It might be a little hurt myself. I think it might be. All right, my voice is starting to go, so I'm going to fast forward to the uh, to the end of the surveys. You know what? I'm really enjoying this doing the uh, the podcast at night. It feels different. I should mention I'm incredibly drunk. Now it's been 18 years since I had a drink. All right, this is a happy moment filled out by a woman who calls herself a straw-stuffed doll covered in cat hair. That's so weird. That's my fetish. She writes, I never realized I grew up feeling like everyone's love for me was conditional. If my, fa- if my own family couldn't love the real me, how could anyone else? But lately, my best friend, who lives on the other side of the planet, has made me feel like it's possible. She remembers things about me, and I remember things about her. We stay up late and get up early to talk to each other because of time zones. I love her. I have very little experience with romantic relationships, but I trust her. I trust that if we decide that one of us moving away from our family and life to be with another would be too much, we could accept that. Even if we don't end up together romantically, I think she'd be an amazing and wonderful friend for the rest of my life. That is so awesome. And such a great reminder too that that, when you get that as the foundation of a relationship, whether it goes to the romantic level or not, um, that I should say if you're in a romantic relationship, that is the goal is that that feeling seen and feeling supported and feeling the love is unconditional. I feel that from my girlfriend. I feel unconditional love from her and it feels fucking great. and I think she feels the same thing from me, but it has taken me a lot of work to get to the place where I have that love to give. And um, and it's been hard, but it's so worth it. And that's why I'm always on my soapbox about support groups and, and therapy because I would be a drunk, angry, bitter, sad sack. And I'm so glad I did all those meetings and still do all those meetings because I get to do this. And she loves the game Civilization. How awesome is that? I feel like I could write a book about the game Civilization. Not the whole game, but just the the certain ways that I play it. Because I got it down. I I don't want to brag, but I'm crushing that fucking game. I'm untouchable. I think Denzel Washington should portray me as a hero in a movie about how I play civilization. I don't know what it'd be called. Go get him, Tiger. Fucking sad sack at the desk. Do you know what time it is? Oh, my voice. I gotta go. Although there's something a little... uh, When our voice starts to do something weird... There's also something kind of cool to it, like, oh, now I'm like a smoky character from a 40s film noir. No, you're not. You just sound tired. If you're out there, <laughs> you're feeling stuck. Just be glad you're not me. Just, I'm not going to tell you you're not alone. You, you know that already. Just be thankful you're not a fucking nut job like I am. And uh, thanks for listening everybody i know is bizarrely beautiful it's everybody fucked up I, up I know, is weird, is bizarrely everybody I know is weird bizarrely beautiful fuck up, up in some weird way. arelie beautiful fuck up in some weird ways